Hello, and welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Scarborough. I'm an entrepreneur who has started, acquired, and more importantly, is focused on growing companies. In this podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs about how they got their start, what their company is about, what has worked for them to get to this point, and how they plan to build their brands. Expect to find actionable tactics that you can use to grow your business and get motivated to get through the grind into a meaningful entrepreneurial outcome that will change your life. I'm thrilled to have you here. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Tap Market, and let me know if you've been listening to the podcast. I love connecting and hearing from you. All right, let's get to it. Hey guys, this is Troy from Tapped Market, where we're talking to entrepreneurs in the grind about what's working, what's not working. Today, we've got Miss Mary's mix on, Ryan and Tristina. Thank you for being here. I really appreciate your time. I really appreciate your product as a user every single day. Tell the audience what Miss Mary's Mix is and how you got here. Sure. Thank you so much for having us. Um, So Miss Mary's Mix is a better for you cocktail mix company. That's how we started, I guess. And recently we've pivoted into coffee syrup. So historically, everything we made was cleaner, better ingredients, lower sugar on everything across the board. We weren't doing anything sugar-free in the cocktail mix space, but we would try to layer in low-sugar alternatives for a traditional high-sugar category. Um, If you look at like margaritas and Old Fashions and Palomas, they're kind of a syrupy-based product. And so what we wanted to do was more or less create products that you could enjoy they would taste really good just without all of the extra calories and sugar that would be involved in enjoying the products we started back in 2013 we started as a one skew bloody berry mix brand we are in wisconsin right outside of the twin cities we would have our producer make the product and at the time it was a really really small co-manufacturer. I mean, they they would hand fill the bottles, hand label them, hand cap them, and it would take them a week to get me a couple pallets of product. It was crazy. And at that rate, there's really no economies of scale. So your product is expensive. You're going out into the market. Cost of goods are high, but you want to kind of see if you can sell it, you know, versus sitting on a ton of product. So I would take off work at the time. I was managing golf courses outside of the Twin Cities. So I would take off one day a week and I would go sell. I would go hand deliver it, hand sell it. And if you owned a liquor store anywhere in the Twin Cities, and if you bought a case of the product, I would be there that weekend tasting it for you. So from a store perspective, there was there was really no downside for them to take in the product. So I would just tell them, bring it in. I'll be here this weekend to taste it for you. So I did that for about a year and a half before I approached a distributor in that market. And so slowly built it up to over hundred accounts, you know, which sounds great, but it's a one skew product that is kind of seasonal. And sometimes you have big turns and sometimes your product sits on the shelf for a while. And so eventually got into a distributor, a liquor distributor in the market. And then we were able to work with them to really build out the brand in a larger way in the market. And so 
if anybody's worked with a distributor before, they're taking probably about 30% margin between you and the retailer. Retailers could be taking somewhere around 30 to 35% margin. So you have to kind of work backwards on their margins and try to figure out at the end of the day what you're going to get out of it. And so ideally, you know, through the whole process, we stuck with liquor distributors. Uh, we would start going into a new state, try to grow out that state. It's a very slow, time-consuming, expensive process. There's no fast way to do it. And it seems like when you grow in the brick and mortar space like that, you have to pay everybody through all the channels. So you go into the distributor, you got to get the attention of the salespeople. So how do you do that? You might have to give them $5 a case or $10 a case or whatever to get on the radar so they can get it out in the market. Then you got to go on sale and you have to try to program it out in the market. So by at the end of the day, you have all this product out there and you have these POs coming in, but when you look at what you're actually receiving, there's just not a lot at the end of the day and you have to kind of keep funding your growth through new markets all the time. And so the liquor distribution side, we found it to be an important part of our business, but where we found a lot more success was in traditional big box retailers. So Target, Walmart, those types of accounts. We got into Target, I would say probably about two years into the business. We were doing one of our tastings, you know, some weekends we were in eight, 10 stores a weekend. I'd have a team of different promotional people that would help us. And one of the buyers from Target came into the store and said, gosh, I really like this product. I'm going to give this to the buyer that handles this category. We didn't know the person. We didn't have their contact. They weren't going to give us their info. And we thought, wow, this is really cool. But then we didn't hear anything for, gosh, I would say three or four months. And all of a sudden we got an email and they wanted us to present. And so sure enough, we presented, they put it in in a test set of, I want to say it was around 80 stores or something just in the Minnesota market. Went well. A uh, year later, they bumped us up. A year later, they bumped us up. And so more or less, we got into around 500 Target stores you know, throughout the years. What year did you guys start? 2013, we started. We were starting to sell the product spring of 14. So you guys have been at this for a while. You're grinding in yeah. your own day job, right? And doing this on the weekend, spending more than your whole weekend, essentially. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Just trying to build something up. Right. Taking one step back, how did you decide on that first product? Was that first product just the product that you used yourself and wanted to remake? Was it something somebody had asked of you? How did you decide on the first one, that Bloody Mary mix? When I was managing the golf courses, Bloody Marys are a big part of you know, a golf course. We had a bartender that would make this secret recipe and it was a homemade blend and only he knew it and people really liked it. And so when he left, he wasn't working with us anymore. We were kind of, I was looking at different products that were out there on the market and they kind of realized they were all the same. There really wasn't a big difference between a lot of the products that you're going to see. And we thought, let's try to make our own again, you know? So, and we were really into health and fitness at the time and low sugar and gluten-free and 
we knew that everything out on the market at that time was full of sugar and full of gluten and full of fillers and all of these nasty ingredients that we were not putting into our bodies at the time. So you'd have one or two and it would be okay, but then you'd feel pretty gross after it. So we wanted to make something that people could enjoy. People would love what they tasted like and they would be better for you. Yeah. There's something about sort of serving yourself as that avatar that makes the desire to make this product that much more, especially because you're also likely friends with people like you that are in the same boat. And so you've got these natural taste testers, right? That are like, I'll try your Bloody Mary mix if it's got no sugar in it and so on. That resonates really well. Sure. Yeah. And then if you take that to that next piece, I can probably imagine where you're going. You're in these stores, you're selling Bloody Mary mix, you're doing taste testing and talking to people. I'm imagining this is where products two, three, and so on start to come down the pipe. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Everyone was waiting for the next product. And my favorite drink was a margarita. And we would make them at home all the time because I could not find a margarita mix that I liked. There were a few on the market that um, had zero sugar. But again, the aftertaste was so bad. They were like chemical bombs, you know? They were like bright green. Yeah. (laughs) It was like drinking a bottle of Diet Mountain Dew, really. Yeah, it's just not worth it, right? You just, it's not the same. It's not worth it. So you just don't even enjoy the drink that you are wanting to have. Absolutely. So yeah, we, we wanted a skinny margarita mix, a low sugar, but still without using all of those horrible sweeteners, those artificial sweeteners that can really cause a lot of problems in your body. So we developed, yeah, our margarita mix and then our Paloma mix, which has been a really big hit. Um, That's the grapefruit drink. And then after that, I mean, we were in Wisconsin at the time and like, I feel like it's the most popular drink in Wisconsin is the old fashioned. Mm -hmm. And again, full of sugar, full of artificial colors and flavors. And we wanted something cleaner. So we got right to it and we got a lot of help from local taverns you know, those Wisconsin taverns. So they helped us with our flavor profile and we yeah, got we would dialed make, in. We would make samples and then bring them to these supper clubs, these Wisconsin supper clubs. And we'd be like, all right, pick it apart. Let us know. Because we didn't drink old fashions. We just knew that people really liked them and it would round out our portfolio a little bit. And so we just kind of leaned on those who really drank a lot of them and to give us insight on it and when we created products, it was more, it was really more self-serving. We didn't know anything about an avatar. We didn't know, you know, who's this customer we're trying to speak to. That was something that we learned in uh, capitalism incubator course. And who we thought we were serving turned out really wasn't who we were serving. We thought we were serving people that were 20s, 30s, you know, fitness freaks that still wanted to drink and and that's really not who it was. The people that were buying us were 40s, 50s, 60s. They're still active, but they're not running marathons. They're not going to CrossFit classes. You know, they're they're walking every day. Um, they're riding their bike. You know, they're playing tennis or pickleball, things like that. That's who we found out was really buying us. And when you're in the brick and mortar space and you're selling your product through all the stores, you don't get your customer's data. So you don't know who's buying you. So we had this idea of who it was, but when Christina would call people that would order from our website and interview them, and then we had all sorts of surveys. We spent a lot of time really researching 
who's buying us and why? And then what other products would we be able to offer them? Because as great as cocktail mixes are, they're not a high consumption product. You're not drinking margarita every day. You're not drinking a Bloody Mary every day. So creating a line extension, we wanted to really speak to our customer. And we realized the person that's buying us is celebrating their life in different moments. So that could be happy hour with friends. That could be a family. That could be the end of the day, just having a cocktail. Or even in the morning, just their first sip in the morning, they don't want to spike their blood sugar. They don't want to start unhealthy throughout the day, but they want a sweet treat. So once we rounded out this avatar, this person that we were serving, it was just natural for us as a beverage company to do coffee syrups next. Was there overlap in your distributor or, or your manufacturer too? Were they the same person or are they different manufacturers? They're the same. You know, we have a lot of efficiencies with them now and we have a great relationship and rapport. And so we can we can work with them to kind of create things quickly. And But going back to that person, it was you celebrate your mornings over coffee and then you celebrate your afternoons or evenings over a drink. And so we just figured let's serve that person. And we were not a coffee syrup person. I never really had them. And so now that we have them, it's kind of ruined coffee for me because I have them every day. I'm like, I just loved coffee with heavy whipping cream. And now I- it's probably because it wasn't something that I literally cannot tell you one brand that has a zero calorie coffee syrup. And if you did tell me that my initial reaction would probably be based on historic that it wouldn't be very good. Now I have had these products. I literally have mocha. I literally have vanilla and I use it every day since I've gotten it. And I will tell you, there's no artificial flavor. It tastes clean. I can whip the vanilla into a froth mm-hmm. and kind of spoil the wife a little bit on the on the weekends <laughs> with a little latte-esque, yes. right? Like I'm her barista or something. Right. So I can get why you're not doing that because I'm in the same boat, right? It's like I would drink black coffee because it has zero you know, calories and nothing in it, right? And trying to pay attention to it. Yeah. It makes sense. I know where you're coming from. Now, one interesting thing here, the Bloody Mary mix, no alcohol in it. So you could sell that anywhere easier, right? You still are going through the distributors, but you don't have to have like a alcohol license. Correct. Yeah. So we have kind of like this omni-channel approach. And so we have our liquor distributors, we have our grocery distributors, we have direct to retail, which would be like a Target, Walmart type of an account. We could do e-commerce easy, you know, so it's on Amazon, it's on our website. You can sell it anywhere. It can cross state borders. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Where alcohol, that's, that's a tough thing to do. So when you first got going though, your main customers, those first hundred customers you talked about, this was literally just feet in the street. Yeah. This was knocking on doors with liquor stores or anywhere somebody could buy essentially Bloody Mary mix, working with taverns in the Twin Cities, um, getting feedback, friends and family. So that gets you to 100 customers. You broke into Target. Mm -hmm. Was that the big change? What was the change that got you from working at the golf course 
to doing this full time, that like moment of sort of beyond the leap of faith to getting there, to getting enough customers to do that? That was, I mean, that was part of it. I mean, in, in those days, I mean, I was trying to talk to any distributor, any retailer. Getting Target was fine. It was great. Obviously, it's good. It's like a good feather in the cap. It gives your, it lends credibility to the brand. But being in like 70 something stores, two SKUs, it's not like, oh my God, we're killing it. There's like a metric that we can use depending on the store, but some retailers typically are like one SKU per store per week. So if you extrapolate that out to what our product is, you can do some quick, dirty math on, well, 80 stores isn't huge. But what it did was it gave us a lot more confidence in going into talking to distributors. We're growing pretty quick there for a few years. We're growing wide. And when you're doing brick and mortar, your whole goal is to just build out your distribution footprint. It's not like e-commerce where the customers kind of come to you and you drop ship them. We were in glass bottles, so shipping online was expensive. You had a lot of breakage. You needed a really expensive protective shipper at the time. So the e-commerce side really wasn't anything we were doing much. I mean, you could buy off our website, but it was really cost prohibitive for somebody to do that. So I think going back to your question, it was all kind of in those couple of years, everything was going quickly. It, I think probably about four years in, five years in, we decided to just do it full time and just try to keep growing out the brand. We had also gotten into Walmart around this time. He went to, what was that like? It sounds like a casting call. They do, um, yeah. So every spring, I want to say, they do uh, like an open call kind of a thing where you can submit. Buyers will take meetings with smaller companies and it's this whole like made in America thing. So I submitted, I got a buyer's meeting and sure enough, we got picked. And so we got two SKUs again in like 70 stores. But since then, now we're in over 500 stores with Walmart with three SKUs. And so the great thing about these retailers is it's steady orders every week. But the bad thing is when you get in their set, you have another year before you can get expanded, you know? So the reviews are annually. So luckily in all of our retailers, we continue to get expanded, which is great, but it's a very slow process. The retailers want to see Nielsen data and they want to see in their market. So we might trade really strong in the Midwest, but down in Florida, you're not going to find us. So for us to get into a Florida retailer, they want to see our Nielsen data for the state. And that is essentially how many times we're coming over a register. And if we don't have that, they're not going to put you in. So it's kind of that cart before the horse type of thing. How do you get in if you don't have the data? And so that's what you're stuck with in the brick and mortar side of things. So we did realize that we need to make a shift in the business model to go more direct to consumer. We're not abandoning our wholesale business. We're keeping, you know, the profitable accounts because there's a lot of really unprofitable accounts in wholesale. You know, we can send a grocery distributor $20,000 in product and maybe get paid $4,000 on it. By the time you get hit with all the chargebacks and they don't give you a reason on what they're for and good luck fighting them. And so there's a lot of that that goes on. So the direct-to-consumer side was our big pivot and where we wanted to start knowing who our customer was, get their data. And that's where really the syrups 
kind of come into play because as we build out our e-commerce side of the business, we're going to release a new flavored trio every quarter about. So essentially we'll have 12 new flavors a year. And instead of going out after cold traffic, we can launch to the people that are already buying us now. That's really important too, because in your space, you have a consumable too. So you have you have shelf life issues that like, like we don't have at Forest and Herald mm-hmm. with our wallets. So I can continue to manage a skew on Amazon or on Shopify indefinitely if I want. Yeah. But you need to actually churn through complete SKUs. If you were to list on Amazon and then get in a new order, because Amazon doesn't necessarily do first in, first out, right? So if you were to continuously send in the same SKU with a consumable, you actually have to run that SKU all the way through, which is more work, right? Absolutely. But you're probably seeing that happen across the board. And there's so many people that want different flavors too. Like already people are like, can I have a coconut flavor? Can I have this flavor? And we're like, oh, okay, yeah. Like everyone wants more than just the seven SKUs that we have right now, the seven different flavors of coffee syrups. So, and it's fun for them to try new things. And so once we capture that customer, hopefully they keep on trying new ones and then they find their favorites and and we have loyal customers. Do we have a subscription option for the for the syrups yet? Soon. It's common, yeah. We're still working out some of the bugs on our whole <laughs> our whole setup, but it's it's in the works. So So we we've got brick and mortars. Are you planning on engaging that audience? Whether it's your this is sort of two pieces, right? You've got the existing customers, even brick and mortar customers that you probably would love to come buy from you from your your online shop and buy your other products that they might not see, how do you convert them to online customers? And how are you finding new online customers? So the first part of your question, like bringing in people that bought us at brick and mortar, there's really no way for us to reach that customer. Unfortunately, they would have to find us. Is that because they don't let you, like brick and mortar won't let you really do any advertising other than maybe having your website on the label or something like that? Yeah, there's just no way to capture that customer. So they would have to, if it's somebody loves the brand, they're going to probably find you online, Google you or whatever. So we're looking at this almost like a startup, the e-commerce side, because new product, cold traffic. So we are doing paid ads right now through Facebook and Google, uh, driving people uh, to our landing page, and that is all running through Shopify. We are about a month in on paid ads, I'd Eight, say. Yeah. We've had product live for three weeks. Yeah, maybe we're in our third week now because we were doing a pre-sale. And this is specifically on the the sinless syrups. Mm-hmm. We're just putting money behind that right now, and we're already on track. I mean, we have big goals for this, but. Like today, you know, if that was our average, we would have a million dollar business. Yeah. So, so our sales right now, after a f- few weeks between Amazon and Shopify, will exceed a million based on the sales we're seeing now through ecom. But our goal next calendar year, 2023, is to hit three in ecom. Income, yeah. And then each year, keep going. We eventually want to be at that $10 million mark on e-commerce. But I think next year, three, based on what we've seen so far, 
uh, I think three's pretty reasonable to hit. So there's no way that you guys just came out and just put this on a shelf, the sinless syrup on the shelf of Amazon or even your website and just said, buy this and I'm on a million dollar run rate. There's more to that. And, and I know it because I've, I've been following you guys. You guys had a pre-launch plan mm-hmm. that you put a lot of effort into. Can you talk a little bit about how that process went? Leveraging your existing people that you serve, whether it be your Facebook groups or whatnot. And you mentioned a pre-launch of the SKUs to get people on board. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I guess I see. And we didn't think that the pre-launch went very well because people were waiting for the product. But what we did do was it was very much word of mouth. We started a little Facebook group and I started to like populate that group with like 40, 60, you know, maybe up to 100 people. And I would talk about these syrups daily and say why we loved them, why we think they would love them. And then we got a lot of feedback. We sent out samples and samples and samples to so many different people who already loved our other products and to some people who never heard of us or never tried us. And we we got a, a lot of information. Our first batch, we chucked. We got some negative feedback and then we reworked it again. And I feel like we hit gold, like people love it. So they were posting in the group. They were giving me photos and videos and reviews, a lot of great reviews from just these samples that we sent out. So how many people do you think are in that Facebook group right now, if you had to guess? Now there's 200 and something. Yeah, like 250 only right now. Um, We will have some paid traffic going towards it. Um, I want to build it up a little bit more with like some more recipes and fun things for people to try. But we get a lot of action on that site. So that's incredible. I mean, that's a the 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 audience here listening to this is going to think that 250 is small, right? Yeah. Right. They're going to self-doubt. What kind of conversions can I really get with 250 people? Even if they all bought, is that really that meaningful? Right. But it's the compound effect outside of that that is really valuable. So you guys have made a ton of waves with just a 250 person Facebook group, just serving them, which is the most important piece, right? Serving them the best you can, taking their feedback and making the changes you need to to make the product successful. And then you come out of the gates and you're already running, right? You're you're already running to going after cold traffic. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much. It was it was just a very organic process, just like how we, you know, how we really started the business. And we want to have this great connection with the customers. Well, and also looking at the market, we knew there was a gap here. And so if you look at the other, there's a major brand out there that does sugar-free coffee syrups in on Amazon alone, they're doing in excess of like 34 million in sales and they are doing a lot in other channels. They're in retailers, but they're really cheap. You know, you can find them in stores for like three ninety nine, and they're just, it's all chemicals and garbage. And the flavor profiles, quite honestly, are pretty bad, but they have a massive following. There hasn't really been a good alternative to them in this space. So when we looked at the opportunity, we we're like, we think there's a pretty good opportunity here. It's just a matter of, I wouldn't say a pre-launch plan was that great. We didn't have a big following. Our email list was tiny because when we switched over to a Shopify website and then went to Clavio and had a marketing agency like start actually doing our emails, they had to discard a lot of them because they were junk and we were going to get bad open rates and conversion rates. 
So I think we went from what we thought we had, like a few thousand. I think what we actually had was maybe a few hundred on emails. I think the difference is, is the quality of that person, right? I think everybody's trying to get the biggest number of followers and the biggest number of email addresses, but quality is really the king when it comes to email marketing. I actually recently just had an interview with Greg Johnson from Email Magic, and he went to town on this as well, talking about a guy who had a list of a million people, but the value of his list was, you know, much smaller than that. It's one thing to have email addresses, but it's the engagement that's the important piece, the people taking action. And so you can make big waves with really engaged audiences. And that's really where that Facebook group is going to come in because our person uses Facebook. They're active on Facebook. If you order off Shopify or off our website, you'll get a thank you card inviting you into our Facebook group. We want to see recipes. We want you to share your recipes. You know, you can get great ideas from other people. So we want like a really engaged group. And it really comes down to making our customer kind of the star, not so much us. We don't, you know, it's really weird for us to be in front of, you know, doing the ads and things like that. We'd rather highlight them. So if we can build a group of raving fans who love the product and, and are excited for the next launch of products, because it's really pretty easy for us to launch the next ones. And so Tristina will put out polls on there. What do you guys want to see next? You know, and they'll be they'll vote on it. And so we're creating yeah. them based on what they want, not what we want. So yeah, our next trio is solely because of what people asked me to launch. I had no idea. Our next trio is called the Cozy Collection. And it's toasted marshmallow, salted dark chocolate, and caramelized hazelnut. I would have never picked those for the next launch. But people really love those flavors, apparently, right now. So we're serving the customer. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. I You guys should, on here, if you can, on the bottle somehow, almost like QR code to your Facebook page or something. Great idea. <laughs> Great idea. Yeah, that's yeah. actually, that's a really yeah, good idea. Yeah, we should do that for the next one. Because if you, if you think about it, that's like where you're getting all the value from in, a, in a, a, a retail store might just be like, oh, it's a QR. You tell them, it's, oh, it's a QR code to go to our Facebook group to get drink mix ideas. Yeah. And then it's like the world's your oyster when it comes to what you can do with that. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good idea. We're going to steal that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> good. So you talked a little bit about where you're going and it's creating more of these products and launching them and seeing what sticks and continuing to serve your customer. What else is next? Like what on that path do you see as being the big difference maker? Husband and wife combo here. You've got kids. How do you grow this company? We talk a lot about the owner's model, right? Like Mm -hmm. layering off some of the workload or hiring people in. When you're talking about growing $3 million or growing to $10 million as a total company in the next few years, that's going to take resources, right? What do you think is going to be the biggest next step for you? Oh, Being on e-commerce is so much different than the retail we feel like we're on vacation now part of the time. You literally just said yesterday, he's like, he wakes up in the morning and he can sit and have a cup of coffee instead of like running off to his desk. Seems really low maintenance. It does right now, but you can actually scale and not have to put it all on yourself. 
which, you know, obviously is the owner's model, but we have a fantastic marketing agency. We have another person back from where we're from that really helps out with a lot of the marketing. If we can just pile more on them and grow them and keep us where we are, we do have plans to, you know, hire more people in the future, but it does seem very manageable at this point. Mm -hmm. But luckily, logistically wise, we were pretty set up for a scalable operation. You know, we didn't have to go find a new manufacturer. We didn't have to find new warehousing and we have all of our vendors in place. So it wasn't too crazy. And quite honestly, you know, in the past, it's like if I wanted to go grow Chicago, I'd have to go fly into Chicago, go on a ride with us, go sell it, sell it, sell it. And you'd be gone. And I mean, I was on the road constantly. I didn't have to drive far to my office a few blocks and I was still driving 70 to 80,000 miles a year on the road, just, just trying to get it out there into account. So this seems, it seems so, so much better <laughs> to be honest. I wish we would have done this a couple of years ago, but I don't think we were ready at that point either. You know, we were still trying to grow out brick and mortar, brick and mortar, brick and mortar. So it's amazing how COVID sort of pushed some people down this path, right? I could see how you could have been thinking about it even pre-COVID and, and, you know, just been stuck sort of in the grind, right? Like all entrepreneurs, we're stuck in the grind. We can't find our way out of this until some action comes along and forces your hand. And when people can't go to bars anymore and buy old fashions, but they still want old fashions, the energy to put the, the effort into giving them that solution is just there. I feel like a lot of people had that push over. Yeah. And, you know, consumer habits changed big time. Like you said, people weren't going out to the bars and restaurants. Uh, they were going to retail. So a lot of the business shifted to retail. But on the flip side, buyers quit bringing in new products for almost two years. They were concerned about supply chain issues. They were just like, you know what? We're just going status quo right now. What we have is working. We don't want to change anything. We'll wait until the dust settles. And that was year one. Then that got pushed to year two. So it was extremely frustrating trying to grow a brand where nobody wanted to hear about new products. And that's really when we're like, all right, let's try to figure out e-commerce. We did not know jack about it, to be honest. And so when we got into this, it was like, holy crap. We knew we didn't know a lot. And we learned quickly how little we knew. It was bananas. So... I really like the future co-marketing op opportunities that you guys are going to have as well. I don't know if other people in the Facebook group have been giving you some of these ideas, but for instance, we buy this um, cashew yogurt unsweetened in my house. Mm -hmm. I get it unsweetened, so it has no sugar in it, right? My boy eats it, but he likes the vanilla bean one. And the vanilla bean one technically has sugar in it. So... I pulled a fast one on him the other day and I actually put, I gave him the unsweetened one, but put some of your vanilla syrup in it, stirred it up with his granola and his blueberries. And he didn't say boo. Yeah. So I eliminated sugar from his meal. Yeah. So I think that there's stuff that you guys are going to do with the experience that you have that's really going to take you places beyond even probably where you're, you're thinking right now when people start telling you the crazy ideas they're coming up with with this stuff. Yeah, we do have a giant list, like a you know brainstorm list of where we would like the brand to go. And it does not stop at coffee syrups. 
or even cocktail syrups. You know, there's so many different flavors of cocktail syrups, like a mojito or even a grenadine and lime juice. But then beyond that as well, just like you said, the yogurts. I mean, we want it every day. We want it better for you and not using that sucralose and those aspartames of the world right now that we are living in and everything that you consume is really very toxic. So we're going to try to change that. If you're not doing this, the one thing I want to I want to see, I'll, I'll send everybody from Tapped Market and Forest and Herald to go get this as well. We talk about lead magnets as things to use to capture new customers. So you could create for you guys specifically, almost like a like an ebook on how to use your syrups in different ways. And uh, you can give them the obvious coffee recipes, right? And the obvious Bloody Mary mix recipes and these types of things. But then if you start to build out some other alternative ways for people to use this, you can get it out in the hands of your existing customers as a free download for them to engage. And you can capture new customers that have found you, but are trying to figure out how they would use you. And it's totally free. You build it, you build that asset one time and you can continue to reuse it. And what we found is that instead of trying to advertise to your feature products, like, like this being sugar-free coffee syrup, right? Start to advertise to the problem sets. If somebody's Googling, how do I eliminate sugar from my breakfast, for instance, this can come up. And we found at Forrest and Herald that advertising to the problems that people are, are searching for is cheaper for conversions than advertising directly the feature sets. Like for us, it's a slim men's wallet as an example. So something to take away from here and potentially think about how you would position that as well. And, and anybody in and should do that. Yeah, so we created a um, digital ebook, a recipe guide. It's got nine recipes in there that is in one of our funnels as an upsell. And then additionally, we created a holiday cocktail guide that you can use these syrups for. So, yeah, so it's the holiday coffee syrups, but in cocktails. In cocktails. So and you, that's completely free. And that's actually getting out there today. Yeah, we just, so if you buy syrups off Amazon, you're getting an email with the free guide um it's going out email and then on social channels so but then to your point on how to use it differently we're having one created for frosting and for baking for like different ways to use it not just in coffees and cocktails so yes absolutely it's it's in the works i think in the next couple weeks that will be released as well that's awesome so where should people go find you? What adds the most value to you guys? You guys got MissMarysMix.com, which is M-I-S-S-M-A-R-Y-S-M-I-X.com. Just so just so everybody knows, MissMarysMix.com. Yes. Sure. That and we're on Amazon. We're on Prime now. Yeah. So our inventory is getting received is into Prime. In fact, our first shipment sold out even before they received it, which was great. So we have another shipment going in. We would like to send people to Amazon to, you know, get that organic traffic or maybe not so organic and get the ranking a little higher in the search. And so our store, Miss Mary's Mix on Amazon. So yeah, and get some good reviews out there if you like it. And it's on Amazon, we can sell the single bottles. There's efficiencies with them to do that where on our website, 
there's no efficiencies for us or the consumer to sell a single bottle. Um, it costs the same to ship it as it does three. So Amazon's kind of, if you want to try it, I would say go to Amazon, look up Miss Mary's Still and Stirrups. Uh, you'll see it and you can pick up a single bottle. So. And if somebody wants to to hear about all these awesome Tristina recipes and videos, we're going to a Facebook group. Um, we actually have a group going and it's sugar-free sinless syrups. Share your recipes. Okay, perfect. So there's plenty of places for people to come find you, follow you. I'm going to be creating YouTube videos on the sinless syrups myself to show people how to use them and be sharing them. So everybody will get a chance to enjoy that and see that as well. So I look forward to having you guys back here. Yeah, yeah, we'd love to give you an update. You know, we could do an update sometime early next year if you want. Or Yeah, after the holidays, when we're launching the next product set, or we'll get the Bloody Mary mixes in and we'll, we'll talk about what's going on on the drink mix side. That would be really exciting to get sort of an update because you guys are perfectly in that grind. You're growing this company. You're taking on e-commerce, coming out of brick and mortar. This story and how you're doing that, I think, is extremely valuable content for the listeners here. And we'll look forward to driving you guys some co-marketing partners as well as we identify some with and for you. But I'd like to see you guys get that reach. Perfect. Yeah, I love it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. So everybody, go check it out. Miss Mary's Mix, Ryan, Tristina, thank you for coming on. We'll have you back soon. Hi there. If you found this podcast helpful, I would appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a review. This increases the reach to more entrepreneurs and other people interested in the products, brands, entrepreneurial stories, and their successes. So we can create even more positive small business outcomes. Take a screenshot, tag me in your social stories to friends. This means the world to me to know this podcast has influenced your day and life in a positive way and that we get to be a part of your own journey. With gratitude from me, until next time, go make it a great day.